everyone. Tomorrow, we get to go to um, this one here, that church. Gateway? Jacob. Yes. I love that church. I don't know why I forget their name constantly, <laughs> but God's working on me. Um, anyway, we go there, and we have loaded the bus. Tomorrow, we actually get to, Bob's going to drive the bus to a um, community, a small community where there's needs, and we just park the bus there, and they get to walk in. They get to pick out five outfits for each person in their household, which is amazing. So they get to go through, and it's all organized with uh, um, different sizes, and they just get to go and pick and then leave. Yeah, like shopping the bus. It's just so cool. And we get to just pray and communicate with them and talk with them. And I know. God's good. Hop on the bus. Yeah. We, for anybody that goes to the church picnic, if you go out on the trails and you get lost on the trail, uh, don't sweat that because we come back the following year. So, yeah, you could just wa- you could just wander back in at a later time. It's no big deal. Don't so don't not come because you might get lost. It'll all sort itself out. Yeah, yeah, you'll you will end up somewhere. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. Well, we got Harold with us this morning, and this is always exciting. It's always good stuff. Um, yes, we got four people excited. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it was great. It's a symposium hearing the, the, the stuff that Harold was sharing and uh, just looking forward to to the two of them being with us this morning. So with that, I'm getting out of the way. Are you going to be up? I'll give you the mic. Do you want to share? share? No, I'm good. Thanks. Thank you. So Harold told me I could come up and share about what's been going on in Pakistan. We've been working there about 12 years, and um, and he has to fill in my numbers. In the last 12 years, more Muslims have received Christ than all 1,000... 400 years preceding. ...preceding. And they're, they, they, some places they're having dreams. Uh, some places Christians are... Uh, being really bold and gathering people, having, uh, what do we call them? Uh, open-air meetings. Open-air meetings. And in the Quran, Jesus answers prayer. It's in the Quran. And so they go and have a prayer gathering, and they'll receive prayers from Christians. It's amazing. And uh, when we were there, my first trip, uh, Levi Hug was there, and he was going around, you want prayer? People are praying. Christians are praying over there. And all he did was go through the hotel. Christians are praying over there. And then Dave, who lays cement close to us, our town, he had a picture of himself at a year and a half. His dad was in the military, and he lived in Pakistan for a year and a half. And he'd pull out his little picture and say, I'm home. And then Dean, who's a machinist in Portland, was stuck at the end of the row. And there'd be 19 people. And Levi and, and Dave were gone. And so Dean was praying. So another couple, pastor from Oregon, and Harold and I would come down from dinner, and there, Dean would be, help. help. 
it was amazing. Anytime you stopped to pray for one person, I'd open my eyes and I would see a machine gun go by and say Jesus' name. And then when you opened your eyes, there was a line of people at the airport. It was really amazing. So this last end of November, beginning of December, I went with Ben Nichols from All People Free. And he's been working in the brickyards of Pakistan. They have about 20,000 brickyards, 2 million slaves. You're usually born there. Um, a few take original loans, but most people are born in the brickyard. Let's say it's a city block that looks like a football field, kind of oval, and they never have left the brickyard. They're born in the brickyard. When you're at the age of three, you start working 12 hours a day, six days a week now. And he started s several hundred schools in brickyards. The kids work for 12 hours and then go to school. He started a fast track program a couple years ago. He picks them up on the bus and brings them outside the brickyard for the first time in their lives. When I was there, our first, it's a 24-hour flight. By the time you get there, we landed at 5 a.m. their time. At 7 a.m., two hours later, we were on a bus, and we didn't get home till after midnight that night. We were in about six brickyards the first day, and then he didn't, he kind of told us, but kind of, you're kind of loopy when you get there. And we drive into a field, and there's 20,000 people in a field. And I'm like, who are these people? And he's been for 13 months, once a month, if you have a school in the brickyard, he's been bringing the adults in the evening to an open-air meeting for their first time outside the brickyard. And then, I mean, it was just amazing. And there, there was so much electricity in the air. It was great. We all got to share a little bit. Then about three, four days later, they were going to do a Christmas program. And I taught third grade for 15 years, have three kids. Christmas programs doesn't mean, you know, I'm not really excited. Then we go into a room filled with 500 kids. It's their second time out of the brickyard. And it's their second Christmas pageant gathering. They've all dressed. They get ha have a stage. They sing songs. It was a five-hour event that was absolutely glorious, absolutely amazing. So Ben's doing a great job. We're support. We're getting behind him, and and then we work with Khalid Naz and Faslabad. He's got five Bible colleges throughout Pakistan, on the border of Afghanistan. And there's another border one. Do you know now? Well, uh, yes. Okay, Iran? Yes, no. Iran. Iran. And he's that they come across the border and go to school, and um, he's doing a great job. So. Yeah. And the slave kids got a chance <laughs> to go into the mall, escalator and elevator, something they've never seen. Yeah. So they're on the floor screaming as the on elevator, the elevator goes up yeah. and down. And then they're rolling <laughs> down the escalator. Escalators. And it was the fast track kids, and they'd worked really hard, and they'd never been out They'd never seen the mall, never seen the elevator. And, Ben's, and Ben said afterwards, they said, we, their goal now, I don't want to go back to the brickyard. And so I, we went to visit in Canada to Asif, who is the number two guy at the Bible school. And Asif knows five languages, and he wanted to learn Greek and Hebrew and wanted Harold to bring his books so he could learn those languages. And we didn't have enough room in our suitcase. So Harold said, when you're in Canada, we'll come. And we w so we drove up to see him in Calgary? No, Vancouver. Vancouver. We drove up to Vancouver and saw him. And he's 
we're in a little basement room and we're talking to a thief and then the gentleman who rents this little room comes in and if this is Michael and Michael we're going to take him out to dinner he puts on a winter scarf there's quite a bit of snow and I said your scarf is beautiful and he said Max gave it to me and I was like oh cool and, you know it doesn't mean anything to me and we get to the table and we're talking and a thief says Max is from the very first year at graduating from from our Bible school in Fossilabad. And we're like, great, you know. And Harold would go every year and lay hands on him and was part of graduation. And then um, I said, so Michael, where's your, or Max, where's your family? You know, where, what do you do? He said, I was born in the brickyard. Now he's got my attention. It's like, oh, how did you get out of the brickyard? I was a little interested. And he said, my grandfather took a loan from the brickyard owner. My father was born in the brickyard. My mother was born in the brickyard. I was born in the brickyard along with my siblings. And I said, how did you get out of the brickyard? He said, one day, and we're sitting at dinner, one day my father said, I think God will bless me outside the brickyard. And he got a pass, and he left his children and wife in the brickyard and went to try to find a job. And when you drive down the streets, you can see 10 people selling pots and pans in one, one block. So jobs are hideously, horribly hard to find. And skills to do the job, especially if you're born in the brick guard because they're illiterate, they've never been taught, they don't know how to count. It's uh, not a good place. And so, and he said, and he worked, found a job, worked, started paying one by one, got his family free. And... Then I said, and then what happened? He said, then I went to college, Bible college, and then we went out to minister in a village, and the uh, Muslims burned down our village. And so he got to go to Thailand or Thailand, Thailand for a while, and then he got into Canada. Canada. And I said, and, and your family? Because he's not married. He's single. I, and he said, no, it's just me. So now I'm, I'm, I'm doing my calculator math. So when you came to Canada, what, you know, what did you, what, did you know anyone? He said, no. And th this was my story. This is my little bell. And I said, so what did you do? He said, I went to a church. And I'm thinking, well, good luck there, dude. And, um, <laughs> and I said, and, and, and what did you do? He said, I, Max came to talk to me. And I went. Ooh, Max gets a star, right? It, you know, he talked to a stranger, right? Then I said, so what did you do at the end of the service? He said, by, by the time of the end of the service, Max asked me, where do you live? He said, I don't know yet. <laughs> Why don't you know? Because I just arrived from, you know, here, and he told, Max told him. So Max took him home that night. Now Max gets three stars, right? <laughs> Taking home a stranger from another land. I don't have, you know, I don't have those stars. I don't know people with those stars. And then he said, Max mm -hmm. said, helped him get settled, helped him get a job, helped him find the apartment. And Max gave him his Christmas gift of his Christmas scarf. And I was like, I, I was ready to bow down and wash the man's feet and saying, I want to be a Max. So... Yes. Amen. You ready? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the freeing sleigh work is thriving. Um, ben plans and says that it's about 3,000 people every day are ministered to and moved one closer to freedom. 
So, so one more step, 3,000 people every day. So it's a progression of constantly people meeting slavery and coming into freedom over there. And that's pretty cool. So um, blessed to be here. This is still one of the most exciting places we get to go. <laughs> because you're the most crazy people that we know. <laughs> tribe of barbarians. <laughs> please, please, please. <laughs> so I'm going to share some things. I've got some thoughts written down in the last book I wrote, Why Theology Matters. There's some thoughts I want to work and share with you out of that. Um, so I'm addressing issues that are going on in our country. It's always my passion. Get the church healthy. And probably one of the strongest uh, attacks against Christianity is a whole movement politically and culturally to establish a society without God. And that's strong in our educational systems, especially higher education. And there's a lot of people pushing for that, that we need a totally secular society and if people want to worship their God, they can, but they have to do it in private, and it should have no influence on society. So they imagine that they could have a utopian society if we could just get church and state totally separated with a church not influencing the state in any way. So that's been a way of thinking among a lot of the intellectuals for over 200 years, but now it's real strong among our political world. Um, and in their efforts to try separate the church and the state, they're rewriting much of history. They're rewriting it to make it look like Christianity has contributed nothing to Western civilization, or if it has done anything, it's been negative. They're trying hard to make Christianity look like a negative influence, um, and they actually have to rewrite the events of history to make that happen and to convince other people. So I love history. So whenever I hear things, I'm always either already stirred in my heart or I'm disturbed enough to go research it some more. And I would like to point out some things that Christianity is what brought it to Western society. For example, the first one is compassion. You may not realize it, but when Christianity was born, it was within the Roman Empire. So around the Mediterranean Sea, the Roman Empire ruled. Before the Roman Empire was the Greek Empire. The Greeks and Romans, they held a value that compassion is weakness. And therefore, to show compassion, you should never do it. It was disdainful to help a poor person or a sick person in Greek and Roman society. They just saw it was below the dignity of people, especially citizens of the Greek and Roman Empire, to help anybody who was poor, sick, feeble. No, what they valued in society, your value as an individual, was based on what you contribute to the state. If you contribute to the state, you're valuable. If you don't contribute to the state, you're not valuable. Now, that same value came in with Hitler. Hitler in Germany imposed the same way of thinking, and he tried to eliminate first from all his military compassion. And so he would often have his military brought and then prisoners from our sides, the allies. And especially in winter times, one of the tortures they would do, his soldiers would take cold water and pour them on the naked bodies of our allies until they froze to death. 
and they were taught to laugh the entire time and to master the gift of laughter while they are putting to death our allies. Why? Because they were trying to eliminate a society of compassion, believing they could only rule the world if they eliminated compassion. So that just happened in the last century, but it was the dominant way of thinking during the Greeks and Roman empires. Hundreds of thousands of people were crucified in both the Greek empire and the Roman empire. Crucifixion, one of the most painful, terrifying suffering that you can possibly imagine. It was just thought, this is how we deal with criminals. Well, Christianity is born in that environment. Christians have a different value system. 2,000 years ago, it developed primarily from who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus was all about helping the poor, all about helping the oppressed, helping the widow, helping the orphan. It was an entirely different culture that Christians had coming into the Roman Empire. So after Jesus died and resurrected, they now are migrating out of Judea and coming throughout the Roman Empire. But one of the primary ways and reasons they were persecuted is because they wasted their lives helping those who don't contribute to the state. Those Christians are wasting. They're not helping us. They're actually wasting supplies on people who can't give anything back to the state. And that was one of the primary sources of anger toward Christians. And during the first 200 years, hundreds of thousands of Christians were killed um, because they were seen as a problem in the Roman Empire. Now, compassion is always a value of Christianity because of who the leader is. Who the leader is determines the values of any religion. The single most profound way that you can pass on your values to the next generation is by teaching theology. So to see this, think of another group of people back in the first century. Um, before Christianity was even infiltrating the Roman Empire, the Vikings were very strong. The Vikings up in the Scandinavian regions... Their god, number one, was Odin, the god of war. Number two was his son, Thor, who carried the big hammer and was very angry, um, fits of anger, and that was praised. And so because the god of war and the son who is, has fits of anger, because those are the two gods, those become the values of the society that honor those gods. So when a mother and a father are sitting around a campfire teaching about Odin and Thor, they're passing on their values to their children. The most efficient way of passing values from one generation to another has always been teaching about the nature of God. No matter who your God is, that has been the number one way of passing on values. Well, now that Christianity comes into Roman civilization, there's a whole other set of values, and it has been fixed because of Jesus Christ, his nature. Above all else, dying on the cross, giving his life sacrificially, God so loved the world. That image more profoundly sets a new standard for how humanity should live, how humanity should govern their lives. So for the first 300 years, Christianity is persecuted very strongly by the Roman Empire. But then in the year 313, Christianity is made legal. 
that began a rapid expansion of Christianity in the Roman Empire. Within 75 years of that date, 313, 75% of the Roman Empire was going to church. It was illegal to be a Christian in 313 before that date, but 75 years, 75% of the Roman Empire was in church. Then the following year, all other religions were made illegal. Now, Christianity conquered the Roman Empire. It displaced it, not by war, but simply by its growth, by its teachings, simply by continuing to advance and love people. It won over the masses, and in about a 400-year period, the Roman Empire, as an entire empire, embraces Christianity, says all other religions are illegal. Now, if that had not happened, if Christianity had not displaced Roman thought, today, you and I would live in a different culture. We would be living in the same culture of the Greek and Romans that has no compassion. Our value of compassion came from Christianity. That's how it got introduced into Western civilization. And had it not been introduced, we would be a very ruthless people. We would not be taking care of the weak, the poor, the infirmed. We would much more try to eliminate those from society who are not contributing to the state. Now, when we look at what has Christianity contributed, the reason we look at it is because there's some people, especially in higher education, trying to rewrite the historical books to say Christianity has contributed nothing. In reality, much of what's around you is the result of Christianity, not just in this room, but much of what you do with our economic system in this country, how we help the poor, how we do many other things, primarily surrounded around justice. It's now compassion. Number two, justice. Now, the concept of justice in the Greek and Roman Empire was very different than it is in today's Western civilization. When a criminal committed a crime, the decision to how to punish them was based on how do we send a message so no one else will do this. It had nothing to do with the crime fits the punishment. That had no thought, no place in Greek and Roman empires. No, their reason was how can we so punish that criminal that it will send out a message to put terror in everybody else so nobody else is going to do the same thing. That's not a equal, the punishment fits the crime scenario. It wasn't until after the church starts taking over Christianity in the 400s. In the late 400s, they begin to discuss what is justice and how can we as a European culture begin to administrate justice in our criminal system. They built it and their discussions during the 5th century were primarily based on two things. Number one, God said he would render to every man according to their deeds. That was the number one thing they understood that God is a God of justice and he renders to everybody according to their deeds. The crime and the justice must match. The crime and the punishments must match. It came when Christianity increased in the Roman Empire and by the year 500, the dialogues of Christianity was we need to change the justice system and bring it into conformity 
to the value system of God, and God's value system is simply the crime must finish, the, the punishment must finish the crime. I said there's two things that were right at the forefront. The other one was the phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, sometimes when modern people hear that phrase, they make fun of it, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I don't know if you ever heard someone say, well, yeah, if we impose that, everybody in the earth is going to be blind, you know, because you're just going to start stabbing eyes out. Okay, that's a very cynical way of looking at that um, phraseology that is in the Bible. It was never meant that way in the beginning. To understand how it was meant, think about today's modern drug cartel. See, that's what it was more like in the Greek and Roman Empire days, is that if some member of another family came and offended your family, you would wipe out all their family lineage. You would wipe out their cousins, the generations after them, their grandparents. If they just offended you, you're going to go totally demolish them. That was not an eye for an eye. The phrase an eye for an eye was originally inserted into the Hebraic religious system because all the tribes around them were living by the standard like drug cartels. That if anybody in one family member did anything, we're going to wipe out all of their generations. Well, that was the value system in both the Greek and Roman Empire. For example, Alexander the Great. Sometimes people praise him but he was ruthless, killed over a million people without any provocation. They were just living in their cities. He came in with his armies and sometimes total genocide in some cities, not because these cities were rebelling to him, but simply because of his obsession with power. It was a value at that time that was rational and justifiable. But in the late five, 400s, coming up to the Year 500, Christianity now was large enough within the Roman Empire to demand a system of justice. And it was Christianity and the thoughts of Judaism, Jews and Christians working together, that installed a different justice system that the crime must fish the punishment. Now, that value, whether you realize it or not, is across the earth today, not just in Christians, not just in Jews. But it permeates Islam, it permeates the atheist, it permeates Hinduism, it permeates all the world. Just to see that, consider what's going on in Ukraine right now. You see, Russia and Ukraine are fighting, but Russia cannot use overwhelming force on Ukraine. Because if it did, everybody in the world would know it was a war crime. Where did the world get that value? From Christianity. It's a value that all the world shares today that it is wrong to use overwhelming force on a nation that you can crush and you must hold yourself in reserve and not use overwhelming force. If Putin threw a nuclear bomb upon Ukraine, all the world would know he's wrong, we're against him, we're going to stop him. Why does Putin not do the nuclear bomb? because of the Christian value that has overtaken the earth. And it took since the year 500, but that is a value that is in our very culture. 
Now, when we're talking about Christian values, how it's influenced our society, most of us aren't even aware how deep it goes. Like, let's take the foundation of our understanding of human nature. There are conflicting understandings of how we came about. Primarily, there's the atheistic evolution or there's the creation account that we're all created in God's image. And in many schools, atheistic evolution is taught, but with atheistic evolution, it means atheistic, God is not involved. But where did humanity come from? Two things in evolution, mutation, which is mere chance, and natural selection, which is then eliminating the weak. Therefore, the strong go on to the next generation. And it happens generation after generation after generation. Atheistic evolution says what is guiding progression is mutation followed by natural selection. Now, that is the predominant foundation of Western education and our understanding of where humanity came from, atheistic evolution. And even though they may not say atheist, they're only offering the part of evolution that is explaining man's existence without God. In contrast, if we come over here to the Christian value that we're all created in the image of God, I'd like to ask you to see the distinct differences, implications of these two uh, uh, cosmologies, ways of bringing man into existence, the origin of humanity. If indeed we are the product of atheist evolution, then there is evolutionary processes at work on every living thing. Every living thing is subject to mutations. Every living thing is subject to natural selection. Therefore, everything is progressing. And in any community, some things are progressing faster than others. The only logical deduction of atheist evolution is that some groups are evolving faster than other groups. Now, the logical outcome of that is you should be a racist. If atheic evolution is true, then some races are evolving faster than other races. Now, you might choose a different race, but it is only logical to choose some group of people and conclude that some are more advanced than others. And that's what Hitler did. Hitler claimed the Aryan race was the most advanced, and therefore we need to destroy all other races. So he was thinking logically on the foundation of atheistic evolution, but he made a stupid decision saying the Aryans are the most advanced. Now today, most people in the world renounce Hitler, or disdain what he did, but yet most of our educational systems teach atheistic evolution, and yet they want to promote equality among all people groups. You see, it's illogical to teach atheist evolution and equality among all people groups. The only foundation that results in a conclusion that all people should be treated equally is the Judeo-Christian ethic that we're all created in the image of God. There has never been anything proposed historically that has replaced that, that has offered a true foundation that results in equal treatment of all people. Judeo-Christian ethic is the only thing that has been able 
to come and offer a foundation for that way of thinking. Now, look how it worked with Hitler. Hitler being very logical, eliminating those who are not highly advanced. First, he concluded that the Jews were least advanced, so they need to be eliminated from society. But it goes beyond that. Following Hitler, we also have, and during all the last century, atheistic communism. Atheistic communism is another one that has tried to eliminate compassion from its government. That we will make decisions based on what you contribute to the state. Atheistic communism, that is the standard. How do you get promoted in atheistic communism? How do you get a better position up the hierarchy? You prove how much you contribute to the state. And if you don't prove that you can contribute to the state, you are pressed down the hierarchy, even to the place where you're sent off to labor camps, you're tortured, you're retrained, you're re-educated to the things that you ought to be thinking. So now in the last hundred years, atheistic communism has murdered with no other purpose other than do you contribute to the state more than 100 million people. Stalin, Lenin, um, Mao Zedong, Potpole, Castro, all of them being atheists have murdered more than 100 million people And why did they murder him? Not because these people were bothering them, not because these people were rebelling, but because these people did not contribute to the state and correspond with our way of thinking. Atheistic evolution demands a hierarchy that is built on the pile, built on the elevated levels of rulership based on How much do you come into agreement with the values at the top? That is the standard, and everything below it is oppressed and put down. A hundred million were put to death just in the last century. That's more than a million a year. Now, sometimes those who are trying to rewrite history are trying to say Christianity has been the cause of more wars than anything else in the world. That's just stupid. (laughs) Christianity has done some dumb things. But I would argue that sometimes it was not Christianity. It was a mixture of people with unchristian thoughts. However, of course, there was some influence of Christianity in those wars, but it's not nearly as bad as they say, nor is the influence of Christianity has not resulted in 100 million deaths in the last 100 years. When we think of the contribution of Christianity, then did I get to fly home today? It's really fun. Sila, pause. <laughs> we got to be here this week and see everybody. It's been great great seeing this church too because I kind of wonder who's going to be here when I come because it's a wild church (laughs) you guys have so much freedom in this place and I think it's the way God wants things 
But that does mean some of you are weird. <laughs> we receive it. <laughs> well, this church is going to go through a big transition, too. I'm following something else right now, different course. Linda and I started pastoring when we were 24 and 23. We were put in charge of a church in Montana. That was a little bit young because most everyone in the church was older than us. We were about the youngest people in the church. And I was raised very sheltered in a church. And these people, they didn't know what sheltered meant. It was a ski resort town, Whitefish, Montana. And we went up there, and they had been renting the Masonic Temple. That's where we met. <laughs> and the Masonic Temple um, is positioned right on the North Railroad Line um, that goes all the way from Washington out here to the East Coast. So right at the back door of the Masonic Temple is the railroad line. It stopped right there. And the hobos got off. So it's cold in Montana, so all those hobos like to come in to the Masonic Temple to church on Sunday mornings. So I had a hobos in the back. I had the usuals up front, but the usuals were not my usual people. In fact, Rob, who played the guitar worship leader, um, he was always, you know, he was always barefoot. Uh, and then Robert, the guy that played the stand-up bass, had been on peyote and mescaline so many years <laughs> that he didn't have the verbal communication part of his brain. He just had the music part of his brain. So he'd be standing up there <laughs> like this. That was Robert. Rob held things together. Not Robert. Rob held things together. But we went over and prayed for Robert in the teepee where he lived all night and he got healed. He could talk. Yeah, it was amazing. So Robert went down to one of the three bars in town. Three bars, that's all, small town. The worst of the three bars, now that he can talk, and went into the little room where they're turning records. A guy's up there providing the music. And he asked the guy if he could read the book of Revelations to everybody in the bar. And the guy agreed. So everybody in the bar sat down drinking, and they heard the whole book of Revelations. The owner of the bar and his wife got saved. They turned the bar into a restaurant. Now we only have two bars. And those two bars robbed the guitar, not Robert the Space Case, robbed the guitar, went into those bars, and he'd play Friday and Saturday nights and usually share the gospel because he was so amazing evangelist. Rob was really the reason that our church made it so successful. I was 24, didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was scared, but Rob was so anointed. He had ran a coffee house in New York City before moving to our town, and so he was just a master at communication. And he had never finished third grade 
So he couldn't read very well. So we, he'd have a Bible study in his house, and it'd be wall-to-wall packed with people. But he'd have to have his wife sit next to him to read all the big words, anything with more than three letters. She'd have to help him read it. But God was there. God was there. And he just kept filling up my church, just kept packing it in because he'd be in the bars, the two remaining bars on Friday, Saturday and, and, you know, Friday and Saturday night. He'd invite everybody to come to the church, to the Masonic Temple. And the Masonic Temple has a little wainscoat around the edge, and the wainscoat has a, a ledge on it. So on that ledge, I had another special treat, too. A guy named Victor was his name. He was Native American, but he was still Native. Um, he only wore one little cloth right here. <laughs> it was attached with a string. So there was nothing on the back. And during worship, he liked to get on the wainscot ledge in the back because worship was pretty hot. But he'd be jumping back there. This thing would be flapping back there. He had a bone through his nose, too, okay? So he had the full package. That was a victor. <laughs> it was really hard being 24 years old and almost everybody older than us, being raised in very sheltered environment. And I had people come to the office all day long, and they'd tell me things they'd done, usually drugs and sexual stuff. And I'd have to ask them, what is that? How do you do that? <laughs> You're not going to do it again, are you? Why would anybody do that? I was honestly just confused. And then it was a couch in the office, and they would leave. But, but I had a baseball bat behind the couch. And I would take it out just to hit the couch afterwards. Just because I was saying, God, people are dumb. I don't know why they're so dumb. And that was most of my counseling ministry <laughs> during those first six years six years <laughs> I really didn't understand and Linda and I had our own problems too three little kids back then our hands were so full and then I I would say that the I got so exhausted three about three months into it we had some suicides so it was mostly a drug culture you know on a Sunday morning you could count on 20% being high um, so about three months into it three of the congregation killed themselves and I didn't know what to do I fell into depression and I couldn't get out I went into the basement of our house curled up on the couch and just cried and I Something happened that moment where I, I thought, I should be the man of God. I should be praying. I should be speaking in faith. I should be doing this and this. And I had no strength, no energy. And I just said to God, God, will you minister to me? Something changed in my relationship where instead of me giving to him, I put myself in the receiving mode and let him give to me. While I was laying there on the couch crying, he ministered to me, and I felt like something changed 
in my relationship with God every day, every sense that day, that he's the giver and I'm the receiver. That was the start of our adventure on understanding grace, how to live in grace, how to live with God, constantly pouring grace on us. And I'm so glad. We've all got our own stories. You know. A lot of you have more serious stories, more difficult times. Um, well, I'm trying to fight to keep the church strong and inoculated against the world's uh, confusion. I know most of us, it's just our daily concerns that have our minds. Uh, most people are just trying to survive today and they're doing their best to pay their bills, to keep their family together, to keep their house up and to not crash. Most people are just trying to do their best. Thank you, Father. You're so good. You're so good. Thank you, Lord. Father, there's always been grace in this ministry. There's always been grace in this community. We thank you for that. It's been a a community that allows people to be real, to live with through their daily struggles and not hide them. It's always been a place where people have been welcomed back. It's always been a place where the leadership has allowed it. Let that grace flow to other places, Father seems so healthy right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Father, a place to get healthy, a place to heal up. Heal up from loss of life, divorces, loss of business and homes, children that have gone astray, things that are too painful to even remember, battles with cancer, struggles that they just got so tired of fighting. Extend grace to each and every person right now, Lord. Let that grace go. Grace, grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. It is sufficient for you. You're going to make it. You're going to succeed. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. You've got enough. He is on your side. He is for you, not against you. You will come through this. You will Rise up. Look how many times in the past he's got you through. That's who he is, a loving father. He is your father. He is your father. He is your father. He is your father. 
Thank you, Lord. I'd like to prophesy over just a few of you, okay? Um, please do. You can leave it on. You okay. don't have to take it off. So since you didn't finish your message, yep. I have a lot of these wonderful books yeah, out okay. on the book table. Okay. And I could share them with people yes. and for as a gift. Give them out. Okay. Yes, Thank she's going to give everybody a copy of this book when she leaves. Yes. Yes. I mean, what can I say? She's asking in front of all of you. <laughs> you going to give away the car? <laughs> the truck. No, not the truck. <laughs> That's the line. <laughs> I like my truck. <laughs> so... Can we administrate this? I can't prophesy over everybody. Would you think with me in terms of about six people that I could minister over? And not going to ask you to come up. But again, I prefer that people don't volunteer themselves, that you point to somebody that needs a word from God. You let me know who it is, okay? And we'll see. You can, brother, they're pointing their fingers at you. Do you mind standing up and... I can see the Lord would say, thank you, bro. Let's see. You keep holding on because there was a season of productivity that was overwhelming in the past. And I am going to rebuild you and make things happen again. I'm not done. You know you can be successful and administrate and manage and give orders. You know you can gird up yourself again and get back in the game. I'm not done. Didn't I not speak to you and say I wouldn't let you go? That I wouldn't let failure win? Didn't I say that you will in the end be on top of this? I promise you. That's what I say to you today. You are my son and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. This time build it so it won't have a vulnerable area. This time build it so people will be felt cared for in their families. Do that and I am going to bless you and prosper you beyond your wildest dreams. That's what I have for you, Cliff. How about the two couples right there on the front row? The crazy couple? The crazy couple, yes. <laughs> right here first, okay? Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Indeed, I have done a work in you. Look how far we've come. <laughs> I made no mistake from the very beginning, joining the two of you. I made no mistake. And I'm going to always use you to bring life, to break bondages, to break yokes off of others. You can do that without even realizing you're doing it. That's how you've always been used. You come into their home and they change. You come into their presence and somehow they think differently. Their thoughts disappear and you overwhelm and you bring in my joy. It's who you are. It's the action that I created between the two of you. And you know, you paid a price for this. You paid a price to have this glory, this measure of me. I don't know why there's somehow... 
I don't even know if you have kids. There was a son, a picture of a boy in this vision. Did you, did you have a son? Two? Okay, well, I just see one. He's coming out of those bondages because the calling is strong. And you will see before the end of the year when you step into the very path of life that he is put on the earth to do. This is my promise. I hear your prayers. I heard your faithfulness and you held it in your heart. Be blessed with another generation in great grace. So I get playing. Alicia, I'm pointing over here. Okay. Oh, we're with these guys. Yes. Okay, that's right. I want these. <laughs> Bless you guys. We'll come back to you. Jesus, thank you. Hold your grounds. Hold your grounds. Hold your grounds. Because there were shaky times, but now I'm making the ground solid for you. Suddenly there is a transformation where there was shaky grounds. Now it's rock. Everything has changed. Everything has shifted. Your whole life is on a different path. But I seize you, put you on this path, and I know what I'm doing. And I will cause you to succeed. I will put up a shield about you so that vulnerability, it's over. It's past. And now I will build you and give you wisdom from above that causes the hearts of people to know I am on you. I am on you. This is my next stage of release in your life to be able to communicate and my words be your words and people identify that what you are saying has a flavor of God's nature that it did not before. This is what I give you this year. But watch and see the ground on you. It will not disappear again. This is my promise. You are building on solid grounds. You are building. And it is easier now. Marriage is easier now. Living is easier now. Finances are easier now. You're on the other side of all of that. But it was helpful for you to go through the test too. Because you did hold your ground. You didn't give up. So now we're on the other side. And I reward you greatly. In Jesus' name. Great grace. Oh, back here for you pointing to them? Okay, I'm back here. Yeah. A good looking head. Back here first, okay? Um, Setting aside so many responsibilities. Setting aside and being free in it. And it's okay. But sometimes you almost feel like this void is there because you were so busy in the past and things not there. But look at the ones who you brought into the earth. Look at the ones whom you love. I'm giving you opportunities to impart words and presence because your presence is your strength now. And that is what's going to be most significant in all the coming days. Hear this, you will live. You have more to do. You have more lives to touch, to stabilize them and put them on course. I'm not done. But if you would write your testimony, you would find out 
that it would be a treasure for other people to hear it, to read it, and it would strengthen you at the same time. But if you would write it for those, your descendants, it would have special value to create faith in them. Well done. You sacrificed much to be where you're at today. You were faithful through all these years. But now is a season when your presence is your strength. And wherever you go, if you know that, you will realize that you are making people around you stronger just by being present. So get for the front. You point to these guys or these guys? Oh, you, okay, sorry. Now you're pointing where? Right here, hey, bless you, bless you. Okay, my sister, great grace. Look how much you've come through. Look how much chaos, turmoil, not knowing that it was gonna turn out this way. And even with me, God says, there was so much confusion. How could God have done this? But you have wrestled with me and not known what to do. But in the midst of it, you were always one who had a spirit of counsel to touch others, even when you were hurting more than they were hurting. That's just who you are, a giver and a compassionate one. And you've always given to others that you love continuously. So I say in the midst of that chaos, you did so wonderfully in revealing. How did that become so solid in you? There's planted within you a strength, a diamond that it is of me. What then will I do? I will put you on a road to rebuild your life. Here then this, you'll not stand alone. But things are not going to turn out the way you originally planned. I will work with hearts. That's not your job. You work with your heart. There's people around you that love you. And they will help through this. But eventually, I'm going to put you in a place where you can serve. It's like an administrative role, but there's lots of children there. And there's people, um, even a mentally handicapped and people that need services. And somehow, you are being given a position there. And it's down the road after you're freed up from some of your home responsibilities, I'm going to promote you in a field of expertise in this area. And it'll be greatly respected in that whole field of people. Great grace. You've been a woman of dignity through all of this. We'll do one more. Okay. Uh, my sister back there. You're being pointed to. You think you know. Okay. <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> You can hit him later, you know, <laughs> if you want that. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Well done on helping, constantly caring, constantly filling in the needs when no one was there to fill them in. You did it. Because some people weren't doing it. You rose up, filled the need, but you know it's not your highest calling. Because it was so easy to get stuck into all those little places of need, you were never quite able to rise up and do what I put you on the earth to do. There still is within you an anointing to create faith, especially in women, to create faith in them, to understand 
how they can live successfully, how they can live free, how they don't have to be oppressed. The very things that you have battled through and you have conquered, I want to give you the permission to help others in those areas. Somehow there's provisions of food flowing through you. And it's abundance, abundance, abundance for many. Keep doing what you're doing. Then the wound of two years ago will be further and further distant from you. And you will turn the road, the highway will turn. And you can feel the bend in the road that now it's a healing road and it's feeling a lot better. It's time for that road to turn for you. Not the drudgery road, but the healing road begins today. It feels like you're on a different road. That's what I got for you. Bless you. Bob, back to you. Amen. <laughs> Lord, as we uh, send Harold and Linda on their way today and their travels back um, to Washington, we just bless them in their travels, um, places where weariness, even as um, some of the, the physical things that Harold in particular is dealing with this morning. We just speak healing over you, Harold, the release of in your sinuses and, and breathing in all those areas. We just declare healing over you. And as you get back home and then move on to uh, some vacation time, we just bless that, that it be a time of refreshing, a time of, of uh, reinvigoration and strength rising up in both of you and just a just a special time for you and Linda as husband and wife to be together and to be away and to be in the mountains um, so we bless you we thank you uh, we thank you for your your history with us um, that um, you didn't run away after the first time coming here but you, <laughs> you actually kept coming back and then you started feeding the frenzy. Which, so now you bear some responsibility for where we are. <laughs> yeah. So we thank you. We bless you and Linda and, and for everybody that's here today. Those of you that have visited with us because Harold's here, thank you for coming. If you're back in the neighborhood, you know where we're at. Um, and... Uh, with that, just uh, bless you. If you want special prayer, there's, there's a team up here that would love to pray for you. Maybe even a word that you've gotten today, you, wanna, you want some more prayer to go along with that. By all means, come up. They would love to pray for you. Otherwise, we're done. So you can go home and have a great afternoon. <laughs>